In this episode, we talk with Dr. Emily Sandoz about our often complicated relationship with our bodies. Dr. Sandoz describes body image flexibility, a mindful way of being in the moment that allows a person to orient to what's meaningful and life-affirming, no matter what the situation may be telling them about their body. It's a skill that can be developed with practice. Welcome to Life's Dirty Little Secrets. We're all very human and fallible, and yet we live in a society that rewards pretending we're not fallible, or the range of acceptable fallibility is narrow. We are constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides and feeling inadequate and guilty, even ashamed. Trying to blend in means parts of ourselves will disappear, and we must then live in fear that we will be found out. Here, together, we will create a space where we can laugh, cry, and carry our suffering and hurts lightly. In the service of being deeply human. This is Life's Dirty Little Secrets. And we are welcoming Dr. Emily Sandoz. Thank you, Emily, for being here. Absolutely. Emily is an endowed professor of social sciences at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. She's the author or co-author of several books, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Eating Disorders, The Mindfulness and Acceptance Workbook for Bulimia, and Living with Your Body and Other Things You Hate. Uh, all from New Harbinger Publications. She's on the editorial board of the Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science, and she plays the electric ukulele. (laughs) So welcome, Emily. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm so glad to be here. So living with your body, as opposed to loving your body, Mm -hmm. since other other books on this topic talk about, you know, got to love your body. You're taking a different tact. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, and and I don't think it conflicts necessarily with loving loving your body. But for me, it's pointing out that love is complicated. You know, just about every body or everything that I love is filled with not only those moments of joy and connection and thrill and excitement and contentment and peace, but also moments of great struggle of frustration of why isn't this easier? Why aren't you different? (laughs) Um, So, you know, for me, I think loving is, it's living. And does it necessarily mean that we don't sometimes experience hate of that, you know, whatever it is, that person, that activity, that job, that role, you know, so for me, living with, you know, is a kind of loving. We put it that way because it's complicated and sometimes painful. Yeah. So body image flexibility. Tell us more about that. So typically, whenever we think about body image, we sort of think about everything that shows up when when the situation makes you aware of your body. Maybe one of, one of those things that might show up is how aware you are of your body, how much you attend to it. Um, which aspects you attend to. Do you feel your clothes on your skin? Do you feel your weight in the chair? Do you feel your uncomfortable shoes? Do you suddenly become aware that you know, it feels like your hair is sticking up or that your clothes aren't tucked in right? You know, Are you thinking more about your appearance or how it feels? Um, in addition, you know, how it feels physically. In addition, it might include your feelings, when you're made aware of your body, maybe anxiety comes with that or, or shame or excitement. 
or pride. You know, so including the perceptions that you have, the way that your attention shifts, your feelings about your body, um, also your thoughts, you know, memories of other body-related experiences, evaluations of what you're noticing as you notice your body, you know, maybe sudden self-evaluations that go with particular body shapes or, or appearance-based stuff or the way that those physical, that physical experience of being embodied shows up. So traditionally, when we think about body image, we sort of think about all that content all of what the context that makes you aware of your body or that pulls for body awareness, all of what kind of shows up there, all of the behaviors, you know, private and and public that kind of show up there. Recently, and and it's not just in, in my area, it's not just body image flexibility, but kind of over the past maybe decade, we've increasingly become more interested in, yeah, but what what else do you do there? Not just what do you attend to, not just what are you perceiving, not just how do you feel, not just how do you think, but but how do you move your feet in those moments that your body is is suddenly in your awareness? You know, how do you how do you move your hands? How do you speak? What choices do you make in those circumstances? And so body image flexibility is is kind of a part of that movement that asks more broadly how body image functions. More broadly, what are some of the things that you can do and not do in situations that make your body apparent to you? The flexibility piece, you can sort of imagine like a continuum from inflexible, that might be very rigid and very narrow, not a lot of choices, maybe an orientation towards how to manage your experience of your body, how to protect yourself from body-related threats. Those could be physical threats, of course, like feeling vulnerable in your skin. Um, They could also be more social threats, like being judged or insulted or, or shamed. So we can imagine on the inflexible side, a sort of narrowness and rigidity that when those thoughts and when those feelings and when those memories, when your attention shifts to your body, that everything kind of narrows and shuts down, that body experience dominates not just your private experience, but also your your behavior. On the flexible side, and this would be a continuum, not, not two categories, but on the flexible side, we can imagine the opposite. We can imagine that, you know, when your body is present for you, when the situation makes you aware of your body, that you have access to a full range of your behaviors, that you can do something fun, or you can have a nice meal, or you can connect with a lover, or you can go, you know, get physical and and play a game of pickleball or play the ukulele. That's sort of everything that you do, everything that you have access to in any one moment is available to you in those moments where your body is is salient, where it's present, where it's in your awareness. And and that's really what we want. We want body image flexibility or what I want, (laughs) I should say. I want body image flexibility for folks. I want them to be free inside of the bodies that they're in. I want even in situations where they're really aware of their embodiment and all that comes with it physically, emotionally, cognitively, for them to still be able to move through their life with freedom and dignity and meaning and just pleasure as well. Wow. So just opening up the possibilities. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's where, you know, even if you do have, if you, even if you do experience body shame, even if there are painful memories that come up when your body is present, even if your shoes hurt or you, you know, have a blemish that you feel embarrassed about, that even in those moments, you could still access the things in the situation that are, are important to you or, or pleasurable for you, um, that your experience of your body, all that stuff we call body image, doesn't interfere with you moving through your world with flexibility and freedom and, and meaning. I find it such a freeing, really liberating way to see things. Because initially, like you were saying, you know, we used to think about body image as something that you needed to change the language with which we spoke about our body. So it was about correcting our experience of our body, challenging it and making us think more positively or potentially more negatively, depending on, you know, what we wanted. And, and that feels so tight in that it's really difficult to do because <laughs> some days maybe we're not feeling particularly kind about our body and we can get really stuck in our attempts to try and feel differently. And, and it just feels so much more fluid and there's so much more room to move when we're not so attached to the words we use, perhaps. That, that resonates for me deeply, Emma. I love the words that you use, like the tightness, the, the flowing, you know, those are great discriminations. It's not surprising that we get stuck on body stuff. You know, like if we if we think about how much we connect to our bodies as us, it's sort of the only aspect of self that can just change without our permission, that we can just wake up and suddenly like we're looking at, you know, the skin on our face and going like, who is this? <laughs> like, where did these lines come from? Or or that, you know, we learned during puberty that, that we can wake up and suddenly have a blemish that wasn't there the night before, or suddenly our hair starts doing a, a thing that it had never done before. You know, we, we, our bodies change over the course of our entire lives from the moment that we're born and certainly from the moment that we're self-aware. You know, it's sort of like if you imagine other aspects of self, other things that you identify with as you, there's very few of them that just change without your permission. And when they do, we really hate that. <laughs> when suddenly our reputation is on the line and we feel we've been misunderstood. I mean, think about how activating that is. You know, when when a role is snatched from us, when we lose a job or, or lose a friend, I mean, it's so activating. It's so terrifying. We work really hard to preserve these aspects of self. And here we are all, you know, allotted this aspect of self that by definition is constantly changing. And I don't know that we ever really get permission to notice that or think about it or connect with it. I mean, for most of us, our relationship with our body is, is quite private, quite mm -hmm. intimate, and not something that we get a lot of a lot of support around building with intention. It's so true. I was just looking at the stats around sort of body dissatisfaction. I think it's the National Organization for Women, and it was saying, you know, as young as seven, girls start to have thoughts about their body. And, as, and then at 13, I think it's 53% of girls are unhappy, and then it just keeps 
going up and then remains pretty constant at about 70 to 80%. I mean, it's really high. And in men, men are catching up to this. Absolutely. So it's so, it's so pervasive, this kind of sense and of just unhappiness with our body. And yet it, it, it isn't really a conversation that we have the freedom to to have a lot of the time. That's exactly right. And and you know, I think I think it's important to think about the kinds of experiences that we do have around our body. It's easy to imagine if someone was ridiculing your appearance constantly, it's it's easy to imagine how that would get you stuck. What we don't always imagine is how your body being celebrated could actually contribute just as much to you getting stuck. It could actually create some of that same narrowness, some of that same constriction. There's a great example in the literature of, you know, if a a child gets up and plays the piano at a recital and plays this complicated piece, and then, you know, she runs down from the stage and, and her mom says, you are the prettiest little girl up there. You know, it's a compliment. The the girl might shine, you know, her face might glow. She might feel a great amount of pride, you know, but what happens on the day that she's, you know, looking rough or she doesn't have a pretty dress or, you know, her body has started to change at puberty. We can imagine the same thing for the soccer field. You know, you look so cute with your your little bow up there or, or you are the strongest little boy up there. Your body looks so strong. You know, really the, the, message being that any sort of conflation of you with your body, any sort of you are your body, you know, any emphasis on those sorts of evaluations, positive or negative, can actually make it harder to find that flexibility later, can actually make us over-attached to some experience of our body, again, a perceptual experience, a feeling, you know, about our body, a particular evaluation, a particular thought, a particular, you know, body experience, really any, you know, any emphasis in that direction. I was listening to a, a podcast of yours that you did with Psychologists Off the Clock, Uh, Many years ago, I think it was, yeah, a couple of years ago. And I loved what you said because you said that quite often our body stands in for our feelings about ourselves. And I thought that was very powerful because it is so true. It's a great, yeah. And and what I call that, and it can happen in lots of different areas of suffering, but but I think of it as a process of chronification. So you know how something becomes chronic. How do how do I become you know a person who struggles with my body, which as we said was very very common. How do I become a person who struggles with my body as opposed to you know who struggles with some other some other kind of suffering? You know how does that really become salient? We talked about some of these early learning experiences. And and what you point to is this process where at first it may be really logically connected. You know, it may be, as we know, like, you know, it's very common during puberty. It may be that during a time of this rapid change, we come to engage in behavior to control our experience of our body, our perceptual experience, what it looks like, but really also our feelings about it, our thoughts about it, that we start engaging in these behaviors. And there are effective to some extent. So they keep happening. 
you know, they're effective, they keep happening, they're effective, they keep happening. Meanwhile, we're not only experiencing body distress, we're also experiencing all kinds of other distress. It's puberty, remember? So we might be struggling academically for the first time, figuring out that we have to study, you know, in some of these classes. We may be struggling interpersonally, you know, experiencing some of that relational aggression that becomes really common in the adolescent years. We may be having people starting to put pressure on us, you know, people who love us putting pressure on us about the path that we're going to take and what kind of job we're going to have and where we're going to live. You know, all of a sudden, all of these stressors come up and a lot of them, there's not a really obvious thing to do about them. Like, what do you do about a test you failed yesterday? I mean, there's a handful of things, but, you know, you may talk to the teachers, set the intention to do more, but you can't go back in time and fix that. What do you do about the popular person who suddenly decided that you're out, that you're not cool anymore and cuts you off? You know, you get canceled at age 12. What do you do about that? You know, there's not a whole lot to do about it. What do you do about the fact that you're pretty sure you do not want to be a doctor and your parents are patting you on the head with every report card saying like, our little doctor in the family, there's not a whole lot to do about that, you know? So what happens over time is if I have this way that I can manage my body experience, you know, and it's becoming increasingly inflexible, increasingly tight, giving me little bits of peace, little bits of positive self-evaluation, little bits of relief from my negative experiences of being embodied, then suddenly all of those things that I don't have a lot to do about they can actually get translated into a body experience. So I fail a test and I feel fat. I get rejected interpersonally and I feel ugly. I feel like I don't want to be a doctor and suddenly I feel physically like a slovenly sort of lazy you know, person where, where all of these negative experiences become embodied. And to some extent, it works. It creates more and more constriction. So it doesn't work in terms of breath and flexibility. But it works in that it gives me something to do about it. I can't do anything about getting canceled at 12. But, you know, I can go to the gym if I feel fat. I can wash my face again. I can, you know, get another beauty product or do another mask. I can go shopping. I can change my clothes. I can get some new, get some new Spanx, you know, so... Uh, some shapewear, you know, all of these, all of these things are available to me. And so gradually that process of chronification, any distress, you know, our body distress starts to stand in for it. And gradually that constriction becomes more and more and more prevalent. We might not even notice, you know, it's not like we're like, boy, traffic was really heavy today. I need an extra hour at the gym. Um, you know, it just, it, it shows up as a body experience. You know, traffic was really heavy. We might see from the outside, but then I feel scattered. I feel physically like I'm bulging out of my clothes. And then I spend an extra hour at the gym. So it's the illusion of control. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great turn of phrase, Chris. I think that's exactly right. And that short-term control, mm-hmm. right? Over time, yeah. it's slipping out of control. It's becoming increasingly out of our control because, of course, a lot of these measures actually make our body changes more unstable. 
They make our body more chaotic. Our body goes into survival mode, whether we're talking about weight changes and suddenly our body is retaining more and more of what we're eating because we're erratic with our exercise or our caloric consumption. Or, you know, our skin is in survival mode because we're, you know, putting all kinds of different all kinds of different products on it. But to the extent that those efforts to control actually involve invasive interactions with our body, you know, our body starts reacting and things actually get kind of scarier and scarier. That that long-term loss of control is the the trade for the the short-term experience of control. Yeah, it's quite scary. And as you were describing it, I can really see these young people feeling so out of control, choosing to to focus on something that they can control and that they can feel masterful. And I think of it, you know, that it just, as you said, the chronicity, I mean, it's so pervasive in society that, you know, it helps us to feel better or, you know, more capable, more potentially more in control of a situation. I mean, people talk about it all the time. Our physical body is commented on every day. I'm so glad you made that point, Emma, because it, it this is one of those odd tensions where I think it's absolutely a dirty little secret. And in fact, part of what's toxic about it is that it's so public, mm-hmm. you know, part of, part of what makes it difficult to navigate. You know, I think one of the challenges for for anybody today, but in particular for young people that are in some of these vulnerable periods of their life where they are dealing with a range of challenges and trying to figure out who they're going to be in the world and, and watching their bodies change, you know, is the the role of the extent to which we're expected to live very publicly these mm-hmm. days. So, you know, how is it to move through my world? We said that 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 body image, you know, becomes relevant when we're in a situation that pulls for awareness of our body. If I have any kind of social media that I'm at all active on, then suddenly every opportunity is an opportunity for me to be aware of my body because every opportunity is has a possibility of it being documented for my Instagram or you know for Snapchat or my Facebook or or whatever it might be so we can imagine you know, while I'm getting dressed for pickleball there's the possibility that I or or someone else might need to document it and suddenly you know my body is available in pickleball, not just for, you know, is my knee still hurting from last week, but also like, do I look cute? What if someone, they always want to take a picture afterwards. I need to make sure and wash my hair real quick before I go get sweaty, because just in case, you know, there's, there's this extra layer of that, that imagined audience that is quite, you know, characteristic of adolescence. To me, our, our context, the social media context, just, just, puts that up, you know, increases that tenfold. It, it just makes it so much more salient and such a riskier, a riskier space. And just, just really being anywhere, anywhere is potentially public and anywhere is, you know, potentially pulling for, for body experiences. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrifying. I was looking at the stats around the use of social media and the you know, increase in, eating disorders and it really is unquestionable that there is a relationship between the two. I actually had a, a, a mild experience but it struck me 
that, you know, it can happen completely out of our control. I was on a panel a a year or so ago. Anyway, the panel was in a school. But the next day, a friend of mine said to me, oh, Emma, you're on Instagram. And somebody had posted a snip of me speaking on Instagram. And it just, it felt so jarring to think that I was on social media. I'm not even on Instagram, but that I was on social media without my consent. And, you know, I thought, what is the image? What, you know, what are people seeing of me? And I thought, my goodness, that's, you know, that not, that isn't my reality because I don't consume it, but I can just imagine how vulnerable people who do consume and use and, uh, you know, participate feel because you, it's all about the visual. There's no content. In some, you know, in some communities, I think it would be very difficult to be interpersonally connected if you weren't, you know, participating. And, and there's certainly some, there's certainly some moderators in there. There's some, some ways that people can use these platforms that actually push us more towards the flexibility side. So for example, there was a study that looked at, I want to say it was adolescent girls and they looked at vulnerability and intimacy in social media, and they actually show that the more intimate and vulnerable, sort of consensually intimate, you know, the uh, their interactions were on social media, it actually had positive benefits in a range of, of different aspects of well-being. They didn't specifically look at body image. You know, but I've certainly seen some very affirming spaces where if anybody puts any picture up, there's a whole line of comments of people telling them how lovely they are. You sort of get the sense that, you know, it can work both ways. And just like anything else, it's how it's going to function for us. It's how that environment, what, it, what kind of behaviors that environment pulls for from us and how it continues to, to shape our experiences and behaviors over time. But, you know, the, the vulnerability to me of that, just that constant, <laughs> that constant salience of our appearance is, yeah, is pretty wild. Yes. And, and I guess when you were saying about that tension, it's interesting because as I was thinking about our chat today and thinking about body image flexibility, I also think that the reality is that there is an expectation that we look a certain way and that there is certain advantages to dressing the part or to looking the part and and how we handle hold that flexibly too so versus that being our identity it's something that is like you said functional or not so functional depending on the context and sometimes i mean i know people who you know love dressing up you know, really enjoy um, playing with their body and as much as they sort of, you know, put lots mm-hmm. of makeup, a bit like my daughter does. She loves playing dress up mm-hmm. and she loves putting, you know, lots of makeup on. And, and I think that that's, you know, part of how we use our body in a way that feels good and how to hold that as well lightly, not to that to be everything we do. And the only thing we do is to have to always look glamorous and fabulous. But if we do sometimes want to look glamorous and fabulous, that might work too. So that flexibility is, is really can be really quite diverse. 
I, I love what you're saying, Emma. I think it contrasts between how some people understand body acceptance as sort of almost like a tolerance of what you were given and, you know, any efforts to change. There's sort of a, in some circles, and this is, this is not everywhere, but in some circles, there's almost a, a criticism if you're trying to manage your appearance or your experience of your body at all, you know? So if you're putting on makeup, if you're wearing particular clothes, if you like to wear shapewear, if you are working your arms out to get a nice tone to your triceps or, or dyeing your hair or getting lash extensions or, or whatever the case may be, in some kind of body acceptance circles, there's this idea that any changing of your body is problematic, that any changing, any, any adaptation, any decoration of your body is always going to produce constriction. And of course, the point that you're making is not at all. You know, we could put on false lashes and a wig and makeup and an outfit in a way that really opened up our repertoire that that gave us access to to things that we might not have access to when we're appear when our appearance is different um, you know, certainly everybody, I think, well, I shouldn't say everybody, certainly many people can relate to the idea of dressing in a way that, that brings them confidence or mm-hmm. dressing in a way that makes them feel sexy or dressing in a way that gets the attention of the people around them in a professional setting, you know, and make sure that they can easily elicit the respect that they deserve once they start speaking. The, you know, I think the importance here is exactly what you mentioned. Is it constrictive or is it freeing? You know, is it fostering a narrowness? Is it something that will take as much as you can give it and there's never quite enough? Or is it opening you up and sensitizing you to, to new possibilities? Is there growth and, and openness there? Another way of, of sort of I think thinking about it, another way of thinking about it might be, is it about managing my thoughts and feelings about it in such a way that I have to keep you know, narrowing down more and more and keep rigidifying more and more? Or is it about opening up and expanding my thoughts and feelings and experiences of my body? So thinking about that expansion versus constriction on all levels you know, in terms of our big behaviors that other people can see, how we move our hands and feet and mouths, and also in terms of of our more private experiences, just how we we experience our body and the embodiment that's available to us every day. And I think some of that is predicated on, you know, sort of our idea of, well, what do I want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's not just as you say, that, that narrow, I'm doing this to look good for looking good's sake or to fit in with this group of people that I really don't like, but it's important for me to be part of that group socially, whatever. Because you talk about you know, choosing a direction, and I think you know, that's, that's really important to just have a compass heading in terms of, well, kind of generally, what do I want my life to be about, and then how do I, how do I manifest that? How do I live that? How do I honor that? And in the, in the choices that I'm making. 
Absolutely. And then and then our relationship with our body isn't centered as as you know, our purpose, our thoughts and feelings about it, but our relationship with our body is just one of the ways that we move towards the things that we care about. You know, one point that I want to make there, Chris, is that we we sometimes have to build up the skill to choosing a life direction. You know, sometimes we have to we really have to have some learning experiences to be able to orient towards things that are not scary or anxiety provoking or you know sad or depressing you know to be able to orient not just towards getting away from those things but moving towards um, approaching things that are everything from meaningful to 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 just pleasurable. Mm-hmm. A lot of the folks that I work with, if I try to start right with meaning, like what is your life direction? What is your purpose? What do you care about? They might be able to answer, but when they answer, I can still hear that constriction. I can still sort of feel that narrowness. You know, there's a, there's a, they might say sort of, I want to be more connected to my community, but what I can hear and see and how they're interacting with it is I desperately need to not be alone anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, what I find is that sometimes we have to start working towards being able to choose a direction by just working on choosing. Like, how good are we at wanting a thing? <laughs> you know, how good are we at, at noticing what it is that we want in any one moment? How good are we at noticing what feels good? If we're talking just about body stuff, we might start with something as simple as does your body like cozy blankets? You know, does your does your body like a warm bath or the steam room? You know, does your does your body like slippers or a foot massage? What kinds of foods can you put in your body that that you can feel your body liking and thriving on? What kind of stuff does your body not like? What kind of movement, you know, really kind of grounds you in your skin? None of those might end up being people's ultimate purpose. You know, it might not end up being kind of big meaning-based choices, but they can work towards those meaning-based choices by starting with these, these small sort of pleasures and preferences, really orienting towards just that wanting, just that choosing Little by little, getting a little bit more complicated, a little bit bigger, a little more remote. You know, it's a little harder to um, plan a vacation with your body in mind. Like, what might my body want to do by day three on the beach? <laughs> it's, that's a little harder than my body would love some Thai food right now. So getting a little bit more remote, a little bit more broad, and gradually working towards you know, if I was moving through my world, being the person that I want to be, what might my relationship with my body be like? You know, what role would my body have? Well, it sounds like you start with some mindfulness. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point. You know, that awareness, what do I want? Sometimes we, sometimes we think of mindfulness as just sort of unfiltered awareness as, as just what's going on now and what's happening now and what about now. And we can certainly cultivate mindfulness in such a way that it can be increasingly sensitive to things that are, you know, I use the word repetitive to things that, that compel us or draw our attention 
but again, not in a constrictive way, things that pull for curiosity, things that pull for engagement, you know, those, those sorts of experiences. So, so I like to think about, about mindfulness as not just sort of opening up a non-judgmental acceptance of what is, but also including this other component of being sensitive to what could be lovely, <laughs> what might be lovely right this moment. And I would point out that as we get better and better at that, just like we talked about chronification sort of in the downward spiral, you know, we can think about getting better and better at wanting in any circumstance, getting better and better at orienting towards what might be interesting or pleasurable or exciting or meaningful in any moment. And that's kind of Another way I think of thinking about body image flexibility is when somebody has or, or is exhibiting in that moment body image flexibility, when they've really grown you know, into that part of their repertoire, then in any moment, they're able to orient towards something meaningful or pleasurable or interesting, that they can get really good at cultivating those sensitivities, no matter what the situation is telling them about their body, no matter what their experience of embodiment is, that they have this array of possibilities. And it's not a fixed thing that they're getting better and better and better at that. They're learning, you know, more and more how to experience those, those range of, of joyful or, or content or peaceful or meaningful experiences, even when their body is super salient. So it's a skill that people can develop with diligent practice, and then it's available to them when they need it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that's so important to say, like, as folks are listening and thinking like, okay, do that, <laughs> get flexible, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it, it, it is just like, I describe it as it's, it's just like working out, you know, a muscle, if that's not too evocative, a, an example here, you know, we don't, we don't do bicep curls so we can walk around holding weights in our hands on our shoulders all day. <laughs> we do bicep curls so that on the, the day that we need to move our arms like that, that we need to use our biceps, you know, there is strength and flexibility there. So we can imagine the same thing with this, with this practice, you know, by giving ourselves the opportunity to notice um, our painful experiences, notice what thoughts and feelings comprise our body image, and, and not double down on that being bad or the enemy or something that needs to change, but instead create experiences for ourselves that allow for growth of that allow for expansion. Yes. And, you know, yes, my mind is telling me that, boy, I'm looking flabby and I can feel how nice this sweater feels on my skin. And I, you know, I'm loving the way that my hair is growing these days. And right now I could really use a nice big glass of water and that would be lovely. Mm -hmm. None of those are intended to replace anything else or distract anything else, but just to broaden out our experience. Mm -hmm. and, and to pivot towards something that's going to be healthy and life affirming and taking you in your direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Without, without any of our body experiences having to change. So, Emily, 
It would be wonderful to leave everybody with some practical implications on what they can do as we navigate this very sometimes difficult relationship with our bodies. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I think it's I think it's useful to think about it like a relationship, to mm-hmm. use that metaphor of a, a relationship. If if we were just getting to know, you know, our new in-law or a new roommate, or if we were starting a job and we were going to work closely with a new coworker, there's these sort of little things that we might do. Um, to start to to figure out what our shared interests are, to start to figure out what our our respective needs are. You know, we wouldn't go in right away and spend the weekend with the person. We wouldn't um, throw them in the car for a road trip. We wouldn't demand that they treat us a particular way and and you know try to suddenly instill a relationship whole cloth. We would start to build it bit by bit. Um, and so even if we, if we imagine that, you know, to some extent, everybody probably that, that hears this, there is some constriction, some, I would say, unnecessary, though, you know, valiantly learned, <laughs> earned constriction in their relationship with their body, you know, the interest would be in growing it. So if we start to grow bit by bit the relationship that they'd want to have with their body, we might start with with simple pleasures. I would stay away from things that feel sticky, that feel, you know, dangerous, that feel risky. So maybe somebody has a history where calorie counting is really constrictive. I probably wouldn't start with, you know, what does your body like to eat? <laughs> I might mm-hmm. start with something that feels a little a little safer, you know, and start to gradually nurture, just like you wouldn't take your brand new coworker to, you know, a metal show without finding out first if they've got earplugs and, you know, don't mind the screaming and bouncing about. <laughs> you might start with tea. <laughs> You know, the same thing here. You might start with something sort of innocuous and pleasurable and really getting to to learn, you know, what your body likes and doesn't, to notice what's actually showing up because the hard stuff will come to get to know in a familiar way what the thoughts are that you have about your body, what the feelings are that show up there. As you start to build that relationship, just like being able to read that your coworker is not interested in debriefing the weekend just by looking at their facial expression when you come in, you know, you might over time develop an understanding of the ways that your body has come to stand in for other parts of your life. You might come to know the periods of time where you need more soothing and nurturing and the periods of time when you can lean into bigger things like what is meaningful or purposeful to you. So what I would advise is, you know, orienting towards the relationship that you want to have with your body and to begin building it with intention bit by bit by bit and tracking it in whatever way makes sense to you. So if it's a little journal, um, if it's, you know, if there is some sort of tracking app that, you know, allows you to feel expansion and not constriction, you know, but keeping documenting in the same way you might, you know, a new relationship with a diary, you might start, you know, putting down what your relationship with your body is so you can watch that progress over time and be ready for challenges and things that feel like, 
new periods of constriction or places mm-hmm. that you didn't know that you were struggling with your body. Because as it becomes a safer and safer space, as things open up more and more, you'll find yourself confronted with new challenges. You know, as your world gets bigger, you'll find new ways that you were struggling or constricting that you, you didn't even know you were. So be mm-hmm. gentle and kind and give yourself some intentional time and space to build that relationship. Wonderful. Yeah, so nurturing. Thank you very much. That was a real delight. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate your thoughts. and uh, Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Thanks so much for tuning into the Life's Dirty Little Secrets podcast. If you have any feedback for us or secrets for future episodes, you can email us at lifesdirtylittlesecretspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Life's Dirty Little Secrets or on Facebook at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast. We invite you to follow, rate, and review us on wherever you listen to this podcast. It is the best way to get our podcast out in front of new listeners. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. See, See you, you then. then.